trying to make it right These people won't let me go I'm just trying to live my life I just need space to grow I'm just trying to make it right These people won't let me go Let me grow, let me go Let me grow, let me go They should know, they should know They should know, they should know I'm just trying to live my life I just need space to grow Welcome to the Tea with Brie. I'm your host, Brie. Thanks for listening. The Tea with Brie podcast is focused on deep, honest, and vulnerable conversation. Each week, I sit down with a different guest in order to have those conversations. Every week, we'll start with my guest's bio, an intro to how we know each other, and then we'll go into a deep dive conversation about whatever topic they brought to me that week. This week, I'm joined by my guest, Kristen Dahlstrand. Chris uses she, her pronouns, lives in Richmond, Virginia, with her incredible fiance, Taylee. They have three cats, a bunch of tattoos, and tons of plants, and lots of certainty that she was raised in a cult. Hello. I have so many questions already. Um, I'm trying to think how we first met, and it had to be through Kaya's show, and you being on on Kaya's show, and I was like, I need to talk to Chris forever. Mm. Forever. And Kaya was like, of course, you two connected. I'm not surprised at all. I'm like, yeah, we are who we are, so just let us live. So here we are. (laughs) let us live yes I love it yep definitely through Kaya and I remember it was similar to Kaya like I kind of she and I went to college together but then I saw her from afar on social distance kind of or social distance good night social media and um I was like I see you like you're doing really great things and that's how I felt about you too I was like I see you over there and you're doing really great things and then you were like do you want to be on the show and I was like I can't breathe. <laughs> like, yes, of course I want to be on the show. Oh, you're Amazing. so funny. You're so funny. Um, no, you were you were for sure a conversation that I listened to and I was like, hi, we need to talk about all the things because yeah. I felt a lot of connection um as being a queer person who came out. I didn't come out until I was 26. Okay. Um, but being raised in a church, my godfather is the pastor of the church that his father founded. And so this mm-hmm. is the church I grew up with and, you know, people I've known my entire life. And so when I came out, I was super nervous, but my family is very accepting and we were able to, they, nothing has changed. Like they don't treat me wow. any differently. They don't see me any differently. Um, my godfather was like, you're, you're, you're my family. You're my kid. Like, I love you. I don't, I, I, nothing changes, which I'm super blessed and lucky. Cause I know like there's other parts of my family that are very much like not, that we and we just don't talk about my queerness Mm. um but yeah so when you were sort of sharing your story on Kaya's podcast and I was like let's chat so I guess to get started like let's let's give some people some of your background and who you are and what you what you and Kaya talked about on that episode and I'll be sure to link it in the show notes too sure so um yeah I'm I'm Chris Kristen but I, I love to go by Chris and um a little bit of what Kaya and I talked about on her warmly podcast was, gosh, we just really, we had a lot to catch up on, but so we talked about deconstruction of faith. We talked about queerness and the church and just the evangelical community and how they kind of like look at people that are just deconstructing and how they view people that are queer 
and decide to be in relationships with same sex and just how that, like my journey in that and how that's been really hurtful, especially post-divorce. So actually, I think we're the same age, right? Right, Brie? Are we 30? And we're going to be 31. I'll be 31 next Thursday. (laughs) Okay, so I'll be 31 Tuesday. Your birthday in March? Sorry, quick pause. Okay, sorry. We are literally, what are we, two days apart? Two days apart. Amazing. Mm, Incredible. mm, mm. Go Pisces. Pisces for life. I mean, feeling everything. Oh, yes. Um, So, yeah, I actually, I came out when I was 26 as well. Same as you. Um, And that was in 2016. I had left a man that I was married to for four years. So I was actually with him for seven years total, but married to him for four years. And over the course of that relationship, he was extremely emotionally, spiritually, and physically abusive. So the way that that was, when I left that relationship, I didn't tell anybody what was going on. Like I just like all of a sudden one day packed up my car and left him. And everyone was kind of like, what? So then I shared, you know, what was going on and that there was abuse. And I just, I had it. I was ready to go. I made up my mind. I decided to leave. Um, So when I left and then shortly thereafter entered a relationship into a relationship with a woman that I had actually cheated on him with, um, as soon as I was vulnerable about that information, people spun the story, you know, specifically people from the church, unfortunately, spun the story to mean that, you know, because you are a lesbian, you're leaving him and you wanted to be with a woman. So that's why you're leaving. And the abuse portion of the like story got pushed to the back burner. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like, no, you know, maybe that happened a little bit, but even if that did happen, Kristen, even if it did, what did you do to provoke him to so much anger? I actually got that question from the elders at the church that he and I were attending years ago, which is so, so unreal to hear. Yeah. Um, so the, the narrative, like my story was taken and spun into something that made sense for them. So, you know, I quickly entered this relationship with another woman my family rightfully so was, you know, confused too, because I had never, I didn't come out to them prior to that, even though all my life I've been attracted to men and women, but particularly women, um, but could have been with a man and I really did love him. And I still, you know, wish the best for him. I, I think he's handled, you know, everything really well, like post all of the the drama from the church. I think he really has admitted, you know, he'll tell people, he'll say, and I hear this through other people, but, you know, friends of mine that still maybe see him say, you know, hey, when we talk to him, he's like, I fucked up. And I realized that. And he's like, I'm happy. If she's happy, you know, I'm, I'm really happy for her. Even though he's still kind of in that same evangelical community that I was in, like he, he can say that, which is cool. So that's kind of a little bit of what we talked about on the podcast with, with Kaya and Kaya and I can relate on a lot of levels in that way. And it's just amazing to talk with her about it. Um, but yeah, just mainly like deconstructing faith and having people kind of create their own narrative for you. And and again, what makes sense to them and, uh, 
just like really growing and like learning from like taking that hurt when you have someone like create a narrative for you that's not real and not accurate and taking that and growing with you know from that and uh, becoming my own person and having my own beliefs and thoughts about things that I've always questioned uh there's so much there um I so I didn't like I said I didn't come out till I was 26 and I had always appreciated the like beauty of a woman but I was like I'm straight like that's the only option for me like from this very religious family very like liberal and progressive place where I grew up but still like very falling into like heteronormative ideals um and then like growing up we had like we had LGBTQA plus kids in my school like we had folks who I I would now not identify for them but like assume who are now like non-binary or maybe even trans um but like back then like we didn't have the language for it really Mm. but we grew up like everyone being accepted um And it was like a really weird place like to talk about now that I grew up, like I've grown up of, there wasn't like cool kids and like, it wasn't like that quintessential like high school sort of labeling, right? Like it was like just, we kind of all like (laughs) waved in and out of of who we hung out with. But um, all that to be said is like when I turned, I was in, I was in college. I had like a lot of friends who were lesbians growing up. I had a lot of friends who were gay men. And so like I had people around me who were in the community but I was just like I'm an ally like I just like would not let my brain go there yeah um until I moved I moved, I visited Austin and I met this girl and I was like mm, there might <laughs> there might be something Somebody here I was like mm, there might be a little, little something here um and then I moved and came out and then everyone was like shocked when I came out because I had never done anything with someone who wasn't a cis hetero guy and they're like, how do you know? I was like, well, how do you know you're straight? And they're like, good response. Like, oh, good question. And I was like, I just feel like I know, like I know I'm attracted to all gender and gender identities and gender expressions. I was like, I've only ever done, air quote, done things, a- AKA slept with or fooled around with cis hetero men. I'm like, but I know, like I just knew. Um, and so over the last almost five years, maybe five in Austin, almost five years, um, I've only been involved with <laughs> queer folks um it's so, like as I've gotten older and like I start thinking of like what will my life look like who who people ask like who do you think you'll end up with I'm like I honestly don't that don't know like mm. I can't identify for you because mm. I don't know like gender isn't a thing or a constraint I put on my relationships with with people so all that to be said just wow. wild, wild times. The way yeah. coming out is so different for so many different people. And like you're saying, like you just up and left, you like, and then for people to try to tell you how you should identify. And, you know, I have an ex who was one of the first people I dated and she was like, I feel like you just came out and I don't really know if you're actually queer, you're just testing the waters. And I was like, that's problematic. Um, So Ooh. yeah, I was like, the the gatekeeping around queerness is also a thing I could talk about for days um yeah but yeah I just feel like especially so that and then also like being raised in a religion as a queer person um and I talk to people about this often like I'm still very religious I just don't conform or practice organized religion because I feel like I was raised that religion was about relationship with whoever you believed in and then you would go to church and then be in relationship or community with other folks who had their own relationships with their higher power 
Um, and so for me, like I didn't grow up like in a judgmental church. I grew up in a church that was very loving and very accepting and very patient um, and knowing that everyone's on their own religious journey. But then to move to the South and see religion used as such a weapon and to to separate us so much from each other was has been really heartbreaking for me. So, yeah, that's I feel that so much because, you know, I my experience is specifically with religion used as a weapon. And so I really try to be careful. And when I listen back to the podcast with Kaya, I'm like, I hope that people know that I realize that there are, you know, churches out there and communities of people that use religion for really good purposes and ways that really bring people together and celebrate individual spiritual journeys and I do acknowledge that. And that's what I'm striving to like be a part of now. Um, and I think that's beautiful. I think that's the way it should be. But yeah, unfortunately, and I think just in this country, the Christian nationalist, you know, that whole movement, when people say, you know, what are you religious? If you are, you know, what, what, what do you identify with? And if people say Christian, I think that comes to mind more often is that form of Christianity that can be so, um, that's really political right now and really dangerous and just a divisive, manipulative form, you know, of like white men uh, who took a religion and used, took what they wanted to take out of it to have a form of control over people and um, I don't know, just kind of like fill in the blanks where they they want to have control over uh, women or queer people or, you know, authority, like submissive wife, like that kind of terminology was really, really taken and used for, for manipulative um, things. And that that's the kind that I have experience with. And, and I think Kaya would say this, like covenant wasn't so much, um, I think covenant encouraged a lot of free thinking and a lot of, um, you know, like encouraging you to really dive deep into what you think. And, but overall at that time, as a religious institution, I think they still just didn't realize how much they were um, conforming to that white nationalist you know, Christian, uh, manipulative, yeah, form of, of Christianity that I, I just don't even think they knew. And now I think they're breaking a lot of that down and realizing like what a lot of that means. Um, but yeah, I feel that that's, and I think it's beautiful that you're a part of, you're still like part of a religious, I'm assuming primarily like Christian named community that can celebrate other people's individual journeys to their connection with God. Like that's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Um, whenever I go home, I still go to like my childhood church. Um, and then there's this one pastor I love out of North Carolina, Stephen Furtick. Um, and I either listen to his podcast or like watch his YouTube every Sat Sunday or Monday. Um, and that's how I've been like experiencing church. But, um, it's also been super, like you just said, oh, what did you say? I lost it. Oh, I think one of the things I have against, not against, one of the hangups I have with religion is the fact that like the Bible or whatever text you use is like 
very black and white. Like their people don't leave a lot of space for it. Whereas like my godfather taught me and his kids, like question everything. Like God is big enough for your questions or this doesn't sit right. Like come have a conversation with us, with me. Um, and you were allowed to challenge things. And so I think me growing up of like, that that was probably one of the things in the Bible of like a woman that has to be submissive. And I was like, this is not <laughs> for me. <laughs> like, no, I, I was like, mm, have any of you met me? Like, God, show you up there. Listen in. Um, not really for me. We need to have a little convo about this submissive thing. Um, and I think that's because I was taking it legitimately as black and white text and and, I, and my friends often ask, like, is it the man part or is it the submissive part? I was like, it's all of it. Yes. Like, I don't, I'm not a submissive person, I guess. Like, I'm very much like, I, I have, the way marriage has been modeled to me, like, it's about partnership. Like, I've seen a lot of healthy marriages in my family and in my life, and it's partnership, right? And so for me to be like, you're going to be submissive to your husband, I'm like, <laughs> unless we are multimillionaires and I don't have to work. And then you have to give me money. That is like, that's, that's how like I unpack it constantly. Um, but like, I think about now, like when I think of people to be in relationships or, or in partnership with is like, I want someone who's going to cheer me on and support me and, and be in my corner. And I want the same thing for them. I want someone who's going to be a parent, a good parent to my kids and being like, you, I, you should be a good person. And this is what this looks like. Um, but I also like there, there's a couple, there are a couple of different people I, I'm interested in, in the current moment. Mm. Um, we'll circle back. Um, and I, I think of like who they are and if like, could my, my godfather and my godmother, they've been married for over 30 years. And they always like marriage is about knowing that you are going to change your partner is going to change and your relationship's going to change. And you are mm. choosing every day to be with this person, knowing that these things are going to happen. And so right now I look at people who I'm like talking to, I'm like, mm. <laughs> are you, are you someone I'm willing to be mm -hmm. in the thick of it with constantly for forever? Um, but then also like, and not to go on a tangent about marriage, but I've been also talking to my really good friend Shelby about marriage and like the divorce rate and what that looks like and how like our generation is getting married later, having kids later, we may not get married at all and just be like in partnership with folks. Mm -hmm. So I think that's also a thing too in, in religion that's been really sticking out in my mind is like, I just don't know. I just have no answers. Yeah. I think I think relationship in religion is also a thing that I'm like constantly questioning too. And that's just, and like, why do you have to make so much damn sense, Bree? Because like that makes sense, right? What I just heard from you makes sense, but that's not the way that I was I was raised to view the Bible as black and white. And if you stray from the black and white, then you are on a slippery slope towards hell. Like that's what, you know, and, but then as soon as I had questions about what that actually practically looks like in life, in relationships with people, then it was like, oh no, no, no. You can't ask those questions. You just have to trust God. Just trust God. Just have faith. Just, you know, I would read a verse, like there's verses. I started diving into verses in the Old Testament. It was like, you know, about wearing clothing and like eating meat and all that. That's not an argument that you can really have because, you know, other Christians will say, well, that's in the Old Testament. Christ came to fulfill and like fulfill the law and the New Testament says this. So then I was like, well, okay, 
the New Testament <laughs> says that you can't go see a doctor. If you're sick, it says it, you know, you should be prayed over by the elders. And here we are, we have modern medicine, we have science, we have all these things that, especially like right now with coronavirus, <laughs> are helping us and helping us learn and like, you know, decrease the chances of people dying and things like that. But so where does that come into play? Like, if you're going to go, we could definitely focus on the verses to do with sexuality, which people seem to love to do, you know, is, is pick out those specific verses about a man lying with a man or whatever. But did you know that, I mean, I'm sure you know this, but me telling them, did you know that, you know, homosexuality, the term was actually pedophilia. It wasn't homosexual. Um, prior to like, I think it was like the sixties where they really were trying to gain, get control on people that were, you know, wanting to have same sex relationships. And that was like a, that was a form of control. They took out freedom language for slaves. You know, there were, there are versions of the Bible that do not have freedom language in it. And it's just, so that causes me to then question the whole thing. And it doesn't, I think what I want to separate with people there, it doesn't question my relationship with God. My relationship with God is something completely different from the way that I, you know, contextualize scripture and what I, you know, choose to believe about taking this piece here and then, you know, taking a little bit of this truth over here. Like that's, I kind of like to piece it together based on my relationship and my spiritual journey. The way that I was raised was like all or nothing. Like you have to believe literally every word. And I'm like, well, if we believe literally every word, we're going to be screwed. You know, like you're screwed, you're screwed, you're screwed. Like all of everybody, if we're really going to take everything to its literal point. The translation of the Bible. I have problems. I also always talk to people about like, who wrote the Bible? I just need that answer. Who wrote this? Or who who was there? Who like I have so many questions of like, because to my knowledge, God did not write the Bible because it recounts him and Jesus's experiences. So who wrote the Bible? So that's number one. Number two, the translations. My friend Aiden is episode two, and we talked about him being in seminary as a trans person. And so he will like constantly text me things even now. He's like, um, have you looked at this chapter in the Bible? This is what we just studied in school. And like, so we've been having those conversations because it's like mm -hmm. so fascinating of the literal difference of interpretation or translation. Like if you look at the Hebrew translation versus like the quote, like English version of translation with the Bible is just super fascinating and how the Hebrew version is like way more like accepting and loving and patient versus like English is very much like fire and brimstone God, which is terrifying. Um, and then also like you were saying too of um, the, did you know, like I went to one of my first protests here in Austin because I am who I am was um, for one for pride. And there was a bunch of people at the Capitol and this one guy was like spewing scripture at the protest. And so me, I start spewing scripture back of like, what about the fact that you're not supposed to eat shellfish? What about the fact that you're not supposed to mix, like mix materials essentially? Mm -hmm. What about like, we don't work on Sundays, like all these different things. And I was just like, we get, we constantly pick and choose what we want to read in the Bible. And, yeah. and like I said before, we use it as, as a weapon. And it's just like, that's why I'm like, I'm so not 
for radical religion. And I talked to my friend Danielle, who also like was going to a church here in Waco that she's convinced was also a cult, which is a thing we could talk about another time. And and those conversations too, like the way that religion can be so separatist, how it can be so judgy, how it can be very much like these are the parameters you were given and do not go outside of the fence Mm -hmm. um, and what that means for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And I just, I've had so many conversations with people. Sometimes like I created a page, I created a separate Instagram for myself. um, And it's kind of as just my faith space, I made it a private account. And I noticed some people from my past were like trying to follow it. And I, I just kept thinking like, do I want to let them in? Because this is supposed to be my faith space where I share the things that we're talking about right now that I really am not looking for feedback on. I'm not looking for you coming to me and, and saying, well, Kristen, did you know, you know, or Kristen, you know, if you are going to deconstruct, then you need to make sure that you reconstruct, you know, stuff like that. And I'm like, really, tell me more, you know, tell me more about your deconstruction. Have you even done it yet? Do you know what that actually means? Um, so yeah, I've thought a lot about that. Um, but really, I mean, that's been my safe space where I can really release a lot of this. And I also have friends on the other side of thinking like, why is this such a big deal for you? Like why, you know, this is obviously a religion of, you know, a religious cult that you were a part of that you're now removed from. But I really feel strongly that um, the majority of people that follow my little pseudo page are people that are struggling with the same thing. And they're interacting with people that always have something to say in response to, you know, their really freedom and their freedom from, you know, whatever kind of cultish religion that they were brought up in. And I don't know. Yeah, I just, I think that's important to build that community. And I think it's important, important across the board, because when you, I'm so convinced, and I just, I, this has been the theme, I was talking with a friend about this last night, it's been the theme of um, really this past year, but unless you have been through something yourself, like unless you are with all the social justice stuff that's going on right now, that unfortunately, a lot of it has been very fatty. Like it's just come and gone and like, you know, Instagram posts and there'll be, um, you know, like George Floyd comes around and then he comes back around in the anniversary and like, it just comes and goes in waves. But really, you know, I thought about this last night. I don't, as long as that is still being like introduced, even if we do go through little like fads and phases of those things, like who cares? Because this, these issues are being raised and they need to be raised because, and it's people's responsibility to really dive in and figure out what is going on and do their own research. Like I was talking with a friend last night, unless you have the willingness to understand someone else's perspective, you're not going to get anywhere. You know, I mean, we, we have several people in our lives that, you know, try to say things like, well, race baiting, and now the British monarchy and everything is always an issue and they have not done the work. 
and that's how I feel with my own perspective and my own things in my life, unless someone really tries to dive in with me and say like, hey, what really is your story? Um, so I'm going to share my story and I'm going to share it for whoever wants to hear it. And then I've found that that welcomes people in who are like, hey, I have this thing too, that I feel like no one understands. And it feels existential sometimes. Like I, you know, I'm a black female and I have been saying these things for years and at Covenant, you know, black female friends at Covenant that were just stifled their voice was stifled for their whole life. And now, you know, this like social justice movement is coming around and, and people are talking about it more, but it's also exhausting. So unless you, unless you've been through something yourself, unless you're, you know, a person of color that's pretty much just been stifled your entire life um, or made to be too aggressive or too outspoken or whatever, or now I'm in, I'm a, say, and I, you know, I'm with a woman and, you know, people create that narrative because they don't dive in and learn and they don't try to listen to this person's experience because it's not their own and because they don't have to, they don't have to do that work. So when people are quick, are quick to fill in other people's narratives, I'm like, wow, I don't have time for you. I don't have the energy for this. Draining. Uh, yeah, as a person, a lot of my career is based off storytelling. And so I often tell people like what I've been through. And so like, I'll tell people like, this is what I've been able to accomplish. And this is what this looks like. And I have had folks, cause now that I do DEI training, like who constantly argue with like facts and figures. And I'm like, well, you can't argue with my personal lived experience. Right. Mm. So I share that a lot of the time of um, this is, it's not my job to persuade you. I'm just giving you my perspective and things that I've experienced and we stop people who will constantly fight to the nail that this is wrong or that I am wrong. Um, but I think storytelling is the one thing that is really big with human connection of like, we can look at facts and figures all day, but it is always behind the, the story behind that of like why we are actually here. And so to, to hear you say like that this religious experience or this religion that you were raised up in stifled people, made you feel like you had to be quiet and as a person who was raised in a religion that like it was all faith-based and we are taught we've been taught that like everything you go through is for a reason and I was having that conversation like a month ago with someone else like Christianity is very big on like God doesn't give you more than you can bear and so everything you go through is meant to like make you a better person and so it's also like that too of like well if I'm here there's obviously a lesson I should be learning but also like unpacking how detrimental that could be for for people like if you suffer an assault or you lose a parent or you go through something super traumatic and you know your religion is telling you that like there's a reason why your higher power put you through this it's like well why should I trust you if you're willing to put all this pain upon me or if you experience you know we've been hearing a lot of people who experience trauma with their at the hands of their religious leaders and so you're also like asking them to re-traumatize themselves by being in this space with them and what does that mean for people of like, I'm supposed to be able to trust you and you, you've taken that trust and, and destroyed it. So I don't know. I, I feel like growing up as such a faith based person was so important to who I am and, and where I am now. And, you know, I, it's, it's weird. Like my religion is very like not traditional now. Like 
I'll listen to a sermon and that's like it. But like my meditate, my, my prayer looks like meditation, right? Like my, my, the way I can form religion now is just like very different than other people in my family. Um, and I tell people all the time, like, I know a lot of the, the stuff and I, and I still really hold and believe in this of like, yes, I've worked my ass off, but I also have people in my life who have prayed for me and that means a lot. And so, I don't know, it's still like this weird sort of like dichotomy of being very much like not in an organized religion and not following mm. the like quote rules of religion and mm. still being very faith-based and what that means, like when I'm with my family. Mm. It's so cool to hear you say that and refreshing because man, yeah, I mean, isn't that and the and the part that really just throws me every time, isn't that what Jesus Jesus was a radical? And AOC, AOC went on her pedestal and like gave a whole like speech about this. Like, how do we forget that? Because Jesus was against everything legalistic lawmaking. Mm-hmm. You know, and he flipped tables for that shit. And that that's the part that I'm like, how did we stray so far away from the center of really what Jesus was trying to say and the people he hung out with, he hung out with all the people that nobody wanted to see. I mean, yeah, lepers, but like also people like prostitutes and people that, you know, were really questioning and outside of the, the religious community. So I just don't understand how we're missing that so much. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, and, and the, and the whole thing, you know, the piece that you said too, about, uh, religious institutions and leaders being called out and the whole cancel culture thing and all that shit, like it's not cancel culture. It's holding people accountable. And can you imagine if you were a victim you know, of one of these circumstances and I have been, and so I get it, but also like, even if I wasn't, I would still listen and I believe the people crying out saying this happened to me because when they cry out, when people cry out and say, this is my truth, it's not easy for them. I mean, they're subjecting themselves to being wide open for attack. Like they're just out there ready for people to literally attack and destroy and come after their families and come after their, their friends and anyone who sides with them. And it's just like, sometimes I make the mistake of going on these like Instagram posts and, you know, people that have religious leaders that have been brought to like the surface, like Robbie Zacharias recently, and I'll read the comments. (laughs) And I just light on fire because I don't understand, you know, there are people coming in saying, well, these are the Jezebels of the church and they were like manipulating the man and, or, or you have people saying, well, that doesn't discount the truth that he spoke for years. Let's take a look at that comment. Like the truth he spoke for. Okay. So Okay, say you like followed Ravi Zacharias and my dad, that's like one of his favorite dudes. And I'm just like, no, but you follow this guy all your life and you're listening and you experience a lot of like growth and, you know, you resonate with what he's saying and you think that he's truth centered and oriented and all these things and like speaking from God. So 
say that's been your experience and then this comes out and then you're like, okay, but you know, it doesn't discount. Yes, it does to me because your whole life has been a lie. So you haven't been living the way that you're, you've been, you know, preaching your truth and you've been literally hiding. And we all have like our things that we like keep to ourselves, but he was manipulating the situation. That was a form of control for him. And I don't know, just the whole siding with people like that. I'm like, nope, I can't. If you, if you're going to go and say like, well, you can't, you know, you're attacking him and that's not his whole person. Okay. Sure. His whole life wasn't abusing and manipulating women. Sure. There might've been some moments where he stopped to take a shit. That's great. Sounds good. But does not that in, for me takes the whole thing and blows it all up and says, no, we need to take a look at the entire picture here. Like something is very wrong, but people are quick to defend. It's a defensive thing that I'm like, if you're defensive like this, this is a cult. You're clinging on to something so tightly that you can't let go. You can't open your ears to hear other people's perspectives in this. So you seem brainwashed to me. I have so much to say. So (laughs) I was writing notes. Um, So let's first start with like the Jesus hangs is what I call them. Who would Jesus hang out with? I was like, Jesus would be friends with sex workers. He, Jesus would be a gay karaoke. I feel it. Yes. He or they, I feel like Jesus would be, would be non-binary. Right. They would be um, at soup kitchens volunteering. They would be walking and marching at protests. They support Black Lives Matter. Like there's just so many, like you're saying, Jesus was a radical. And I feel that deep, deep, deep in my soul. Of like, What does that look like now? To talk about cancel culture for a minute, because this is the bane of my existence specifically after Black Lives Matter kind of had this resurgence last year and everyone sort of being so afraid of like saying the wrong thing and being held accountable like they should be. Um, For me, cancel culture is just another thing for white people to hide behind when they're scared of like, I can't come forward and say anything because I'm afraid of getting canceled. Cancel culture is also steeped in white supremacy. Like don't, don't. But we Excuses. saw this, yeah, we saw this a lot last year with like performative allyship and then people being like, hey, like Ellen was terrible to work for. And this is why um, we have proof that like this person, uh, uh, who was it? Was it Matt Lauer? Is that the per- music news person? Anyway, um, I think it's Matt Lauer was like terrible. Like we have all these people who are now being called out and being held responsible and accountable and you know, we see those people who were sexually assaulted by other folks and being like, well, you know, what would, you know, what were, what was she doing or what did they, I'm like, no, that's not how this, this works. Like what this person did victimize this other person, but you're going to blame the victim versus holding this other person accountable. And so I hate cancel culture because it's, for me, it's just another blanket of like white violence or white silence, depending on how you feel um, or see it for like folks to use it as like, to diminish and demoralize people being brave enough to come forward and say something yeah and so uh, yeah. yeah it's oh that defensiveness and the control yeah exactly what you're saying I mean it's just like I don't want to deal with it and I don't really want to face the consequences because I've never had to really face consequences of anything as a white person and you know I mean I had my boss say something my boss is terrible um he said something the other a couple weeks ago, like we were doing a training on um, unconscious bias and he refused to take the training because he quote unquote 
doesn't have unconscious bias. He said that, which literally like, that's so funny. <laughs> he's, he's saying he does not have it, but really he has no idea what he's even saying. Like he's mm-hmm. literally proving the point in saying that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I think you're, you're right on the money. And I, I just love like everything that you're doing to bring awareness to that. And it's, it's almost like white people are like threatened by the fact that they have to face something that they, we don't have to, we've never had to deal with the consequences of our actions. And mm-hmm. so we're kind of like little babies again. Yes. We're like set back in time. We're like, wait, we did what? Oh no. And like all this stuff, it's like, oh no, that's too much. I'm going to say that you are race baby. Mm-hmm. Hi. Or like the people who say they have ally fatigue. I just, I cannot. I'm like, um, okay. So you're tired from finally. You're trying saying, for five minutes. From finally saying something. For posting a black square and not being it. Because that's all y'all. Whereas people in this country who have been, who have experienced their family who are enslaved folks, who experienced the civil rights movement, who, who had to live through don't ask, don't tell on the AIDS epidemic, immigration. Like there's just so many things that like mm-hmm. marginalized folks have to constantly deal with. I was just talking, I just recorded with another friend, Mimi, and we were talking about the the danger of being a strong black woman and how people constantly expect you to be high performing. It's like my blood pressure is constantly through the roof because I'm constantly stressed. Like mm-hmm. I don't get to just relax, right? Like I'm currently house slash pet sitting for a friend and I'm constantly terrified that people are going to think I'm like squatting or like I broke into her house because she lives in like a like not a not a well-to-do area, but like I, don't, I have not seen one neighbor who looks like me. So I'm constantly like, yeah. what do I? What, I'm like, what do I, I wonder what white people think when they see me in this neighborhood that they know I don't live in this house, like, and or like you know people now trying to get the vaccine for um, coronavirus, and we're also having a conversation like, well, we'll just put this and that down, and I was like. She's like, they're not going to ask me anything. I'm like, I'm a black woman in America. I get stopped for everything. Like, there's just all these different things that I have to constantly think about. And so when I hear ally fatigue, I'm like, I need you to sit down and shut the fuck up. Yep. Like, <laughs> yep. do not talk to me about being constantly tired. Yeah, that is absolutely fair. And like, how is it not? How, if you are an ally, then you're not an ally. You're not an ally, ally fatigue you're tired for thinking about it for five minutes and literally like not knowing where to go or because you feel like you're being forced to look at all these different things. And like, I've heard people say like, well, it doesn't matter what I say or do. Like I'm always wrong. And like everything I say is uh, everyone takes it so sensitively. And it's like, you're missing the point. Mm -hmm. You constantly as a black woman have to be on edge at all times and think about every single thing that you say and do white people don't have to do that ever we get free passes I mean I was just like talking to Taylor the other day about how you know people going into a store say they go into like a target or whatever and they have an item and they walk out the the doors next alongside to a black person and the alarm goes off like obviously who are they gonna who are they gonna stop if I stole that shit, I would get a free pass every time. Even if they caught me with the item mm-hmm. as a white woman, like, or a white person, anyone, 
that is not doesn't look like a person of color like you are going to be the one that gets the free pass every time if you are white if you are remotely looking like a person of color you're up to no good Mm -hmm. you're trying to take advantage blah 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 you have to think about that your entire life and and we don't so no that's Mm -hmm. not ally fatigue that's just fatigue from you not facing like what's really going on around Mm -hmm. you that's you being apathetic yeah it's also been the people who are like I just don't know what to say and I'm like anything like I would prefer someone being like I don't know what to say but what I can say is like black lives matter and I'm really learning what that means anything I had a really big problem with people who a didn't say shit last year during black lives matter um, people who, who didn't say anything during the election, people who didn't say things after the insurrection. And then here in Texas, when we just had this storm of like, we saw a lot of people stepping up and doing the work and that's great. But we also had people who were using it for clout. We had people who were like yep. showing up and doing things. And, and, and I constantly tell people like, it's not the worst off awards, right? Like no one, no one gets an award for being worse off than anybody else. But I was telling people, like, this is my everyday job. Like, the work I do at the organization I work for, like, we are constantly boots on the ground helping people. So, like, we had a warming station. We were giving out supplies. I go, but I don't need to post about it. I don't need – and I'm also, like, very private. Like, I share a lot, but I'm also still super private about mm-hmm. all the things. And, like, I don't need to share in everything. I don't need the clout. I don't need the notoriety. I don't need the thank you. Like, I do this work because it is important, and this is the work that I've chosen. But then we also had a lot of white people stepping up and doing this work and like posting about it every five minutes and being like, oh, after seeing what the state got, went through, I want to run for office. I'm like, have you have you thought about what that really means? Have you talked to anyone in your community? Have you do you know what the demographic breakdown of your district is like all white these different complex? Oh, don't <sighs> fucking white saviorism is mm, gritted teeth. Um, and I was, I talked about this the other day on a panel. I'm like, we don't need you to save us. Marginalized folks have been organizing and doing this work for a long time. It's like showing up to a dinner when dinner's already cooked, but you bringing a meal. I'm like, we don't, we don't need that. I don't need that. I need you to sit down, wait, wait in line to get served, grab a seat and listen, right? Like there's just, there's room for everyone in like this ally in this activism space, but it's also like, there's not a hierarchy, but there's definitely like the way that things trickle down like we have done this work we we continue to do this work and right now mm. it might look fun and cool and you get to take a photo but if you're not willing to actually do the work I'm sorry but I don't need you here no that's another thing I constantly think of too of like white saviorism and white and ally fatigue and all the other shit I'm like you just want the photo just say that just say that and be done just say you don't you're afraid of getting canceled so you're going to do this one thing so people know like no like I'm a I'm a good white person because I did this and I don't know I just have a lot of a lot of feelings well it it shows that they don't actually want to learn anything at all because Mm -hmm. if you really want to learn and Kaylee and I talked about this last night because right when we started going to protests this past summer in Richmond um, and I don't know if anything came up about Richmond and like the monuments and everything. Like if you heard that, it was pretty national news, but we have this row of monuments called Monument Avenue in Richmond. And it's General Lee, it's Jackson, it's all the racist men, white men. And it's, we were like, tear them down. And so it looks really cool right now. Actually, I'd love for you to like come visit and see it one time, but it looks, it's just all graffitied and it looks beautiful. And still, 
you know, we're working to take it down, but General Lee is like one of the, he's like the founder of the Confederacy or whatever. Mm -hmm. And Richmond is like the capital of the Confederacy, surprisingly, um, but not. And, you know, that's that one statue. I think it's the only one left right now, but it has to have like federal approval to be removed. So all the other ones could go from the state like state level approval, but this one has to go and like get literally signed off by like every white man in our, <laughs> in power in our country, which is so ironic, right? Mm-hmm. So it still stands there that we're still, you know, marching. But I, anyways, I was talking with Taylor because in the beginning of all of this, like she would, you know, post things that were subject to really, she I, I admire what she did because she was really learning and growing in this process. So she would post things like, Hey, I agree with all this, but like, let's not burn down whatever. And people would comment friends of ours surround her and say, and me too, you know, and say like, Hey, when you're saying this, you're not really understanding, you know, the bigger picture here mm-hmm. because it's not about like, okay, say if you're like family and friends and like your people were dying in the streets for really no reason every day, say that you really pretend that you get that concept for a second and what that would look like for you, you would burn shit down. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, I would. I a hundred percent would. And it's not graffitiing or, or destructing property. It's bringing to light the issues that we really need to bring to light. And I think, you know, back to what you were saying about the cancel culture that are afraid of being canceled. People are really afraid of putting something out there. And, and I've done it too, where like, cause I posted this quote from a Republican Senator that was really supporting like BLM, but I was showing it as like, Hey, we've got people on the other side that are finally coming around to like, what we believe, but I had people comment and say like, oh, you're Republican. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm just posting, but I have to let go of my defense because people could see that and take it a certain way. And I need to understand that. So I need to be subject to criticism. I need to be held accountable in what I say, because I'm not the expert. Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the thing. I'm like, people are afraid that they're not expert on something for once, like mm. all white people have been all their lives. Mm. So afraid not gonna do it Mm -hmm. and it's also the thing like it's it's the day of the insurrection was a very angry day for me Mm. because once again it was property and property no property and profit over people and I think a lot of people thought the protests like you're saying like when we burn things or when we broke things or there, I was telling you, like, there's so much to unpack there. Like we have, we've been dealing with coronavirus and people who can't afford to keep their electricity on, but we have these multimillionaires still making multi-millions of dollars, but we can't give $1,200 checks to folks to keep their apartments. Um, we would see like all these different conversations about, like you're saying, tearing down these statues and be like, well, it's, it's history. And it's like, no, it's murder. Like we are again, like highlighting the murder and enslavement of black people and indigenous people because don't forget that america wasn't discovered there were people living not our country it's not our land correct this Um, land is not our land can we rewrite rewrite that song honestly like let's talk about let's talk about that song because it's all a lie um and 
you know, the day of the insurrection when people who are like, I'm just so shocked to see this. Not one black person in America was shocked to see white people acting a damn fool at the Capitol building. Let me tell you that. Or like people who would message me like when George Floyd was, was killed and they were murdered. Let me talk about murdered. And people mm-hmm. like, oh, I just, I'm so like, I'm so shocked. I'm like, that to really? me is a slap in the face. You've known me for X amount of years. Do you never think about the fact that me as a black woman, I'm never safe. And people don't get that. Like, I'm like, I'm never safe. Like we saw this with the woman that was playing a video game with in her apartment with her nephew and the police came in and shot her. We saw this with both of John who was murdered in his own apartment. We saw this with countless other black folks who were just out there living their lives and were murdered right and so i'm just always like mm. talk to me when you stop being shocked that's when i'll and have a conversation with you oh my gosh this just and it it all really runs together in our conversation earlier too like people you know being afraid of they're really protecting they they're building a wall around something that's comfortable for them and that works for them for in terms of control and that's the same with destructive religious christianity like it's the same thing and the same thing with white people being afraid to like face the consequences and like really own up and be accountable to the actions of all of our history of of life like it's just it's this like nope, I'm going to protect it. I'm going to be defensive. I'm going to not, I don't want to go there. I don't want to own up. Oh, I have allies. I'm an ally, by the way. And I have ally fatigue. Like that's Mm -hmm. bullshit. It's bullshit. It's protecting. It's cultish. It really is like white America is cultish saying our country is the best country. Mm -hmm. We are not the best country. And why would we ever say that? Yeah. Radical patriotism is, is a cult. Trump, Trump was a cult. Anyone yep. who follows Trump was you're in a cult. So 100%. sorry to tell you. I also feel like you wouldn't listen to the show, but if you do, for some reason, for some reason, you were in a cult. Yeah. By uh, the way, yeah, you're in a which cult. 100%. I could talk. About, I could talk about cults all day. That's a whole different subject. Anyway, mm. I thank you so much for coming on. I could talk to you all day about all the things. Also, you should just move to Austin because here we go. Um, I'll be sure. Um, one of my really good friends just moved to Austin, so. Even though I was already coming to plan on uh, visiting you, I'm double coming now because hello, saying. Chad, I'm coming to see you if you're listening to this. <laughs> I'm just saying. His name is Chad. He's like, I hate that my name is Chad. Yeah, we'll unpack that another day. Um, <laughs> thank you for coming on. Um, at the end of every episode, I like to sort of end with a palate cleanser question. And it's a two-parter, so feel free to answer whichever one you prefer. But the question is, what is the best advice you were ever given or what's the piece of advice you would give to your younger self? So I think I'm going to go with the piece of advice that I would give to my younger self. Um, and that is that your, your gut is going to lead you places that you need to go. And if you have questions, they do not need to be stifled. Um, that's huge for me. That's something that I had alarm bells ringing in my head when I was young, like, this isn't right, this isn't right, but okay, just go along with it because this is the way that it's supposed to be. No, fight that. Like, if you have that burning in your gut telling you that this is just not right and that you need to dig deeper, listen to that because the places you'll go with that, you'll meet people that have perspectives that you haven't understood and that you can dive into. And it's an honor to to do that. It's an honor to sit with you 
free and to listen to your experience because they're not mine. And I need to hear that. And I constantly need to be filled with that. But when we build those walls around and we get defensive around what we believe and this is it, it, it seems comfortable. It seems like, okay, we can, you know, this is what we believe. Here's the structure. Go. That seems like it's a one, one and done, you know, how to book of life, but that's not the way that life works because we don't know how other people have felt and other people's experiences and perspectives are more valuable. And also just digging into like loving yourself in that, because you might have different views that you didn't realize that you had because you were following a cult. Um, you might be in a cult. I feel like that's what I just learned from this whole conversation. <laughs> talk to me. If you think you were in a cult, talk to me. Uh, that's it for this is episode of the tea with Bree. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at the tea with Bree. Send me an email at the tea with Bree at gmail.com and visit the website, the tea with Bree podcast.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or where you get your podcasts. A special thanks to Mama Duke for our theme music, and I'll talk to y'all next week. Bye.